So welcome to the Challenge Cycling Podcast and uh, delighted to have Lydia Gurley from Athenroy. Lydia is a Challenge CC member and won a silver medal with her teammate Lydia Boylan at the Madison track event in the Velodrome at the European Championships and twice bronze medalist in the World Cup. Um, Lydia, great to have you. You're uh, stranded over in your training camp in Mallorca. Uh, we're all uh, feeling very sorry for you. Yeah, I guess I guess like everyone else in the world, kind of stranded one place or another. Um, yeah, but I'm in I'm in my uh, Cycling Ireland base in in Mallorca. How long have you been over there? Um, we've been there since before the pandemic hit. Yeah, um, I've been living here on and off since 2015. Um, but I've pretty much been here the whole time since the pandemic hit, which was just about a year ago. Uh, we had quite a like a severe lockdown here as well. We weren't we weren't allowed out for any kind of exercise. The only time you're allowed out was to go to the supermarket or go to the pharmacy or that. So it was quite quite stressful when it first hit. I'm sure just like everyone else in the world is a, a bit of a shock and surreal experience. Yeah, because most of us, you know, here you're you're in Mallorca, it's brilliant, but actually it wasn't so good, I suppose. You know, a lot of times you can't train, you're also away from family. What was it like uh, when it locked down at the start? It was it was crazy. Like I remember the day it happened. It was like March fifteenth, and myself and my teammates, who I, I lived with at the time in an apartment, we were planning to go out for like one last long ride, like five hours. It was nice weather planned for the day, and because we kind of expected that on the Monday something would happen, like there was all just rumors and that going around, and something would happen, but. So we went to bed Saturday, Saturday night thinking, oh, we'll just have one nice long ride and then woke up Sunday morning and suddenly all these texts coming through that it's just complete and utter lockdown. You're not allowed to go outside for anything. And I just remember just sitting there and be like, what do I do now? I can't go out and ride my bike. That's my like purpose for the next six months training for the Olympics. And it's just it was just very, very surreal. Um, And then, yeah, it was at the time. I mean, you know, we still hoped, I guess, that the Olympics might happen during the summer. Um, but then as the weeks progressed, it became more and more obvious that that wasn't going to be the case. And then it was just a matter of trying to, um, you know, maintain, maintain fitness. I mean, you can't just completely shut off for 12 weeks. So maintain some level of fitness with indoor trainers. And then, uh, I was lucky enough that I had access to a gym. So I was able to use the gym during that time. And I kind of felt that it was an opportunity to, to work on strength, a full, like, full I mean nobody had any idea that it was going to be 12 weeks that we were going to be locked in but it was an opportunity to couldn't get out on the bike so get get more time in the gym and get stronger which is an important part of track um but yeah it was just it was just bizarre when it happened but I'm sure it was the same for everyone else in the world you know different levels of lockdowns and rules and uh so you spent a lot of time on the trainer inside the apartment yeah, yeah. Myself and had two housemates at the time, we were all just sharing a, a watt bike and a trainer the whole time. I tried to, I tried to just form like another routine. I mean, as an athlete, you just, you, you enjoy like, well, for me, myself, anyways, I, I really enjoy routine. I just find like comfort in it, I guess. So I'd wake up, have breakfast, do some training, have lunch. I was trying to learn some Spanish at the time, just something to like keep the mind occupied in that because you know, you couldn't even go out for a walk or something like that. So it's just about forming a new routine, really, um, and trying trying to stay sane. And it's so hard to keep focus, I imagine, especially when you're you're training at such an elite level. You have a, you know, you had 
the Olympics that you're building up to, uh, and then you realize that it's it, it's probably not going to happen this summer. How does your training change, or how does your 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 mentality towards that change? Yeah, I mean, it was. I remember it was it was building and it was becoming more and more obvious that the Olympics weren't going to happen. But then when they officially announced it, it still it hit quite hard. I'm sure it hit like quite hard for all the athletes, you know, like you work and you work and you work for this. And then, you know, this crazy event happens in the world. And, you know, I mean, so much has happened. But, you know, as, as an athlete, you can be quite in a way selfish but very focused on what you're preparing for and it's it's the most important thing in in your existence so that when that's like when something happens to disrupt that you know despite all the craziness going on it's your focus and it's it's a real shock it hit it hit it hit hard but i mean it was it was difficult because it wasn't even a thing where you could be okay i'll i'll take some time off and i'll you know enjoy myself it's no you're just still like stuck in an apartment with with nothing to do or nowhere to go or that but I, I mean, I'm in general, I enjoy training and, you know, even if it was just the turbo trainer, I enjoyed that. It brought some structure to my day and being able to go to the gym was, was a good release in that. But, um, generally, I mean, we would, we would change our training depending on how far away we were from competition. So I knew it was going to be a long time before there was any competition. So I could go to the gym and like feel the doms of gym and not be too concerned that it would affect other areas of my training. So and then once we were finally, the lockdown was was done, then it was about building some endurance again. Mm. So, you know, we, we generally go through different phases of training depending on when the next competition is. So then it was about trying to build some endurance. And then it was a few more months. It wasn't until maybe the beginning of September, end of August, before we were able to get back on the track here. So really? then getting on the track, it was just about trying to get the legs going again and, and that kind of thing. So... How long did how long before you could actually take the bike out onto the, the road? Because you're in Mallorca, it's uh, looking out the window. I'm sure it's not. It's it's kind of uh, tantalizing, you know. Yeah, it was it was a 12 week lockdown, and then once they finally did let us out, they had some very strange rules. Um, so each little community, which I lived at the time in in a in a town called Alaro, which is maybe less than five five thousand people, and has an area, I don't know, maybe like 10 kilometers across each way. Mm -hmm. And we were only allowed in that area for a certain period of the day from seven till 10 in the morning. So it was just really bizarre to like, you know, be in one stage where you could like be fairly chilled in the morning for during lockdown because you had nothing else to do for the rest of the day. And suddenly you were getting up at 6 a.m. to go ride a bike at 7 a.m. and then be back home at 10 a.m. and have nothing to do for the rest of the day and go on the same roads because you couldn't like you couldn't even like you couldn't really venture any further and then it was a it was maybe another two weeks before two or three weeks something mm. like that before we were allowed to like actually go further and not within those time constrictions so and, and i mean it can be difficult with, yeah were you able to Sorry? train with your were you able to train with your teammates as well or were you kept no kind of separate? Yeah, no, actually the, the rule was we were, you're not, you weren't allowed to train in groups at all. So you had to train like solo and, but it was just so random because we were in such a like confined area. The first morning they let everyone else, it was just people walking everywhere and people cycling and just like hundreds of people. And in, in the main city in Palma, it was much, much worse because you had thousands of people that it's generally quite an active country, I would say. So everyone was like going to this one climb and you just you had like pelotons going up this one climb because 
no one else was allowed to go anywhere else. So it was, it was very bizarre. But it must have been um, on that time. Yeah, I like I, that was that was not in my area, so I wasn't allowed to venture there. But yeah, are there many just, are there many teams and professional athletes based close to where, where you are? In in other years, um, in December and January, you'd see like a lot of the the pro teams out here, and then even sometimes in the velodrome and in January, February, a lot of the teams would be aero testing in the track. So you definitely would have seen like in normal years, like and then is it March? No, well, like April would usually be very busy with cyclists, and then they have the the Mallorca three twelve, and yeah. the week of that and the week after is just packed with cyclists so it was just very bizarre to be here during the summer a place that's usually packed with people and I would cycle through towns that you wouldn't cycle through in a normal summer because it would just be so full of tourists and they were just like ghost towns really you know yeah yeah and when you finally got back into the village room then it must have been uh what was it six months was it since lockdown it would have been yeah from end of end of march till um august september yeah it was about six months before i'd ridden a track bike and you knew at that point did you that the olympics would be well i suppose you had what a almost a year of a run in then yeah i mean yeah so it was i think in was it in march march april that they announced that the the olympics were going to be postponed for a year so um so in, in that point of view it wasn't like you know, if you know you're not going to be competing for a few months in track, then you can you can focus on road training and gym because track training is so intense. You don't, you know, I don't spend like five days a week training at the track because it's it's just too intense. So we would generally train two times a week, maybe even when it was so far out from competition, just once a week at the track um, because you can't do like you're better off just doing volume and longer efforts on, on the road, really. Yeah, it must be great though to have you know teammates there with you. You know now, training in spite of difficulties of lockdown and not being able to get home. Yeah, I mean for sure, like you know, especially if you have long hours to do, um, it it helps to have other people to do it with and to to push you as well. You know, um, yeah. and then when when we're on the track, I like I enjoy training with other people on the track because it definitely it pushes you. I mean, you're always looking for that something extra to push you when it really hurts on the track and if you're chasing someone or competing against someone in the sprint it it, it pushes you on yeah i think no matter what level you're at if you're kind of sunday morning leisure rider to being a pro athlete like it's having like for somebody just going out on the sunday going out with a group means that you'll get out of bed in the morning you know you won't kind yeah. of put the snooze button oh sure i have to turn up um, yeah. and then when you're competing like just that extra little bit of competition you get from you know racing with other people like it's so so important you know and it's the social element you can't underestimate it yeah no absolutely I mean like I just remember when we were finally allowed out I just like just appreciated it so much more actually just being able to to ride a bike and be able to ride a bike in a in a beautiful place and you know and then once we were actually allowed to ride together it was so nice to just ride in like in small groups and yeah it's like calves out on new grass in the spring yeah exactly <laughs> definitely it was just like yeah it felt it felt very good to be to be out and about again but um yeah yeah um i, I mean there's been a massive uh increase in people cycling here like i'm sure you must know i mean 
the amount of kids out in the road and bikes is great to see, you know, and yeah. uh, and hopefully we'll carry that on after the pandemic. But we'll get to that anyway. But I want to find out actually, um, how you got into cycling because you weren't, it wasn't from an early age that that uh, you were in, into cycling. No, like it definitely. I think it was it was my mid twenties before I, like you know, I would have ridden a bike as a kid. But like I was I was living in Canada at the time doing doing a master's and um I just started I started doing a little bit of mountain biking first and then I just really didn't enjoy like mountain biking seems to be a lot of like going up a hill for like an hour in pain and kind of like trying to spin your legs to get up and then you're like terrified going down a hill so <laughs> it just didn't really didn't really appeal to me so much and then and you I had an up. experience there which some of us will identify with here in uh cycling out in Connemara where there's a lot of sheep on the road you came across yeah. a different animal yeah, I um, I came around a turn and there was a a black bear and her and her cub on the on the track and I just like stopped in my tracks and like ran up the hill and that was kind of the end of it for me. I'm like, I'm not you left okay. the bike and ran, is it? No, no, I I like pushed the bike up the hill. I just wanted to get away. <laughs> and, you yeah. know, I like luckily I I spooked the the bear when I was coming around. I mean, she wanted to get away as much from me as I wanted to get away from her. So, yeah. The situation yeah. you didn't want to be in like with a yeah and and then i figured you know what i'll just i'll just stick to the roads i think so yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i've seen some of the um some of the velodrome racing and i tell you one thing yeah <laughs> no walk in the park seeing some of the crashes but yeah. oh yeah well anyway sticking to canada so you were mountain biking in canada and uh running away from bears so uh <laughs> where did you go from there um, so I did some triathlons when I lived there because I lived close to a place where they'd have the Ironman triathlons and that. So I started doing that and just for some bizarre reason, really enjoyed like getting up at five in the morning and cycling for six hours on a weekend. So I built up, I would say like I built up quite a good endurance base there. And um, then I had moved to the UK. Had you, what kind of sports were you interested when you were younger? Like, or was this a whole new lease of life? For it you was, I mean... Yeah, I would have been like a low level of like activity, like maybe going to the gym or that, like in, in uni. But I played a bit of um, basketball and, and football when I was in like in secondary school and that. And like actually for my size, like I'm I'm very short. I'm like five two. I actually seem to do OK at basketball and play a little bit of camogie as well. Um, so I'd always be doing different things, but not like super competitive at that at the time. Or, and then when I went to university, I didn't, I wasn't really part of any, any sports or that, but it was just when I, when I got to Canada and I joined a triathlon club and met like, like-minded people who like to do, you know, a crazy amount of like swimming, biking and running. And I thought that was, that was kind of cool. So yeah. But then the I just, that, what was the thing that really kind of, gave you the bug out of it was it the competing or was it just being outside or was it you know some people just love to punish themselves getting up early in the morning you know getting out and and really going for it yeah I just I just love I love the freedom of it all I mean I've uh, I've done some bike touring trips as well I, I um I went from myself and another person we went from Canada to Mexico in three weeks with like camping kit and everything on the back and wow yeah three weeks of maybe 100 miles a day and camped every night and it was just it was just so nice to every day you just go somewhere different and it'd be a, a different adventure every day and you'd meet people and so I just I just really enjoy being on my bike and 
track, I mean, track is, track is different, you know, it's very mm. high intensity and very focused in that, but, you know, I also just, I love, I love that competition and that like mm. pushing yourself because on, on in track, you have to push yourself. It's not, and I've kind of had to develop that like physically and mentally within myself, that kind of different level of, um, of pushing yourself because it, it, it hurts a lot. And how did you get into track cycling coming from triathlon and more endurance cycling? I, um, I moved to the UK to do my PhD in, in Birmingham and, um, just like with a cycling club there, I had to like one or two friends that went to the track and I was like, Oh, I thought I think it'd be nice to go to the track. And I was also. So like they, have a, they have a velodrome in Birmingham, have they? In, in Newport, which is about an hour and a half away um in Newport in Wales so I would I would miss days at uni which was probably not the most professional thing to do but <laughs> I would um yeah go with a friend to go to Newport to do track and then like uh, I was seeing and kind of hearing and doing a bit of road racing in the UK scene which at the time was quite competitive and I was I was doing okay there so I was wondering if was there any way to get on the Irish team maybe in in some capacity of 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 racing and I kind of saw that there was you know that there was a women's team pursuit squad and that was probably the best kind of way to get into any kind of professional cycling um so I I got I got second in the Irish road race in 2015 and I think that kind of you know gave me the opportunity then to try out with the team in in Mallorca and the team was had you done much road racing in England um yeah, I did. I did a. I did a bit of road racing in England, and it was quite like at the time. I'd say it was quite competitive, you know. And there was like a lot of races all over the place, you know, especially during the summer and that. So, I was um I was enjoying that, but then I was, you know, just just seeing what way there was to get like onto the Irish squad in like in a, in a professional way, and the track seemed to be the main thing that was kind of supported at the time. Yeah, um, and I mean because. One of the things we'll get to later is the fact that it's you have to go abroad to, to train on a proper track, a proper velodrome. So, I mean, did you find that a lot of the Irish squad members were in different parts of the world or, you know, how how did that work at the time? You know, how did you get into the Irish squad? Yeah, how, so I mean, at the, at the time they had a squad of um, was it five, five women, four women that were trying to qualify for the Rio Olympics and the team pursuit. Mm. So they were, you know, a, there's a, there's a house here um, that the, the riders can live in and um, you know, having, having the track here and having the, like the facilities like gym and that to, to train here. So I came out in the summer of 2015 to try out for the team. And, you know, they were obviously like much better than me, um, but I still, they were kind of going away to compete at world cups and international races, but I was still just staying here and training and then trying to compete at kind of lower level races that that'd be like in, in Europe, like mm. the Berlin six day and like six day races. And like, we'd call them C1 races or smaller level races just to get experience and, and racing in that. And, and then I just and kind of just, I didn't drop there, but um, tell us a bit of the buzz of cycling in a velodrome because we're kind of used to, you know, out in the countryside and there's a, there's a, a kind of a stadium intensity to the velodrome, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, yeah, when you like, 
when you compete in maybe like in the UK or Germany or some of these places and like some of these events, they're, they're pretty much just parties, you know, like the cyclists are just, <laughs> I don't even think most people are like paying much attention. They're just drinking and eating food and enjoying themselves, you know, and I was fortunate enough to, to race in Ghent at the 166 track when Bradley and Cavendish were racing for the last time there. So that was just a giant party. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a it's a buzz like the, the crowd and that but I mean when you're racing you don't really you don't really hear that unless something happens like there's a crash and you hear the woo and that but um but yeah I mean like I mean the Madison racing is is very intense and and very focused and that's the race that I that or team pursuit that I would go into with the most nerves you know because it is like there is an element of danger to it um you know, you have to be, you have to be very switched on. There's, there's a lot happening. Um, but it's, it is, it is a buzz when, when you kind of feel that you're like in the flow of it, you know, I mean, it, it looks like chaos, but <laughs> when you're in it, it doesn't feel as chaotic if, if things are flowing nicely. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's Experience a buzz when you. Was, because it looks like a swarm of bees just going zoom, zoom, zoom yeah. and, and trying to keep it who's where and what's happening. Um, yeah. It's pretty intense. And then the crashes are fairly brutal when they go down at that speed but explain madison for us there uh, if you wouldn't mind yeah so for the women we do 120 laps and we sprint every 10 laps for points um five four three two one so the top four gets points and then double double points at the last sprint and 20 laps if you gain a lap so it's two people two people in a team um generally there'll be 16 to 18 teams on a track so it's quite packed compared to like a normal bunch race. And at one time you have one rider that would be in the race and then your teammate would be out of the race. And to put the person into the race, you have to do do the Madison swing to get them into the race. I mean, so, sometimes like, sometimes if it's, there's a lot going on, you can only maybe just give your partner a push or something like that, but you have to like touch in some way to, to get the person in, into the race. But um, it's- and How do you approach that tactically? I mean, how do you decide when- your teammate drops in and when you drop out, you know, uh, you, yeah, you, you, that? you generally try to share the load like 50, 50. So you generally want to try to be in for about two, two and a half laps. Mm. And then what you'll try to do as well is have a, the fresh rider coming in with maybe a lap and a half to go <clears throat> before the sprint. Mm. Because if you're, if you've been like in the race for, two and a half laps and it's the sprint you'd, you'd generally be quite quiet so in general what you're trying to do is like a lap and a half before the sprint if you're in the race you're trying to get your partner well set up for the sprint um so that's kind of your job your finish line for that sprint is like one and a half laps to go and then you swing your partner in and you know generally it's their job then to try to pick up something in the sprint if you're well positioned but the Madison race is, is quite technical and a lot of it is about positioning, you know, because it's so fast, you don't really, you don't really move as much generally in the sprints, you know, where you are in the group is, is where you're going to finish because you're going 60 K an hour. So to go any faster is like, you take so much power that mostly like that's, you have to work very hard, like for three or four laps before the sprint to get well positioned for the sprint, you know? So you have to be kind of quite um, strategic in which of the, say, the intermediate sprints you go for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you would definitely, you would kind of know yourself if you're well positioned to go for a sprint. And if you're not, you don't really, you would kind of just sit in 
you know, and like follow a wheel to conserve energy and then be like, right, okay, we need to like, we need to push to get this sprint. So you try to communicate with each other, but like, right, get me in a good position to go for this sprint, you know? Yeah. And I've seen like where you do the Madison swing, like this pretty dangerous part of the, uh, of the race, like, because you've got riders coming either side of you at 60k an hour and you're trying yeah. to swing or cycle it forward with your hand like it's mental yeah yeah i mean like i say it's kind of organized chaos you know because if every if everything's been done right then you know you kind of everyone behind you behind a change knows a change is going to happen because mm. they see that like a person's teammate is coming in so in that case it's your responsibility to go over the change mm. uh, which doesn't always happen sometimes that's why it can be quite dangerous sometimes people go with what under changes and that's quite dangerous because the rider coming out to the race is losing all the speed and they're slowing down and, you know, you might have a tendency to go into the track then. So um, generally when you're out of the race, you're trying to watch where your partner is. You're trying to, you're trying to drop in at the right speed at the right location as well. But then you're also trying to see if other teams are doing changes at the time and if you have to be aware of that. So the, the lap and a half, leading up to a sprint can be very chaotic because that's when the speed really picks up but um we practice quite a bit the madison swings um at the track behind the journey usually so we try to do this do the do the changes at the speeds that we race at so and sometimes a bit faster as well so we try to get as much practice in that as we can and how do you deal with because i see it happening a lot how do you deal with crashes in the velodrome i mean is it is it is it is it easier when you're crashing the velodrome or is it harder or how do you uh it, i mean for it? it it depends i mean I, it, it's funny because i mean you go like you go into a race and you realize there is a potential for that but you you can't really focus on that mm. you have to just go into the race and know that you'll respond to a situation as best as when it happens i mean i've crashed in races and your first thing that you think of is getting up and going to race again you know <laughs> because um in the madison if you if you crash and if your partner's in the race it's it can be quite dangerous because the madison is so quick and so intense that if you're in for more than like two and a half laps at a time you're going to get tired uh with yeah. the speed and you know the potential to lose a lap there is a lot so you want to try to get back into the race as soon as soon as possible but I mean, I've been fortunate, like touch wood, to not have anything too serious happen to me. I mean, you might get some splinters or get some like torn skin or, mm. I mean, the thing I would be most concerned about is is hitting a head, hitting your head and with concussion and broken bones and that kind of thing. But I mean, you just have to, you have to go into the race and realize that you'll respond to whatever happens as best you can. And that that's a risk. But I mean, when you're on the start line, there's there's nothing else that you can do other than, you know, then race and see what happens and like you say and i mean as a as a professional athlete you'd be quite focused and quite single-minded don't you yeah yeah i mean I've, I've had incidents in race where i've had like a crash happen directly in front of me and had a bike bounce in front of me and i just like don't even think about it and just kind of continue on i mean yeah you, you see things happen or, or sometimes there'll be crashes and the race is stopped and you'll see someone on the ground and like you don't even it doesn't really even like compute you kind of just like get on with it you know um, yeah 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 and then how long you um kind of professionally funded then when did you become full-time 
Um, well, I spent 2015, 2016 out here and I'm not sure if it was, oh, sorry. Yeah, 2015, 2016. I think it was probably 2017 before I got any funding. So mm. funding is based on like getting results, um, yeah. getting results. Had, at, you, had you finished your, your master's or did you jump out of it temporarily? In I um, So I was doing my PhD in, in, oh, sorry, uh, PhD. in the UK. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I put that on hold and that's still very much on hold. <laughs> mm. So, yeah, that's I mean, at this age where, you know, I wasn't I wasn't very happy in my PhD. I really I really didn't enjoy it. It wasn't I didn't enjoy living where I was living. So it, it didn't feel like that much to give up for, you know, it, I mean, it was a risk in that, you know, but I mean, I guess I, I thought that I could always go back to it if things didn't work out. And, and for me, it was it was worth the risk, you know. Um, mm. But yeah, I think it was 2017 after after getting a medal in, in Calais in the World Cup that I, I got funded. And um, so I think it's about four years now that I've been funded. Yeah. And, and tell us about the World Championships then and, uh, you know, working your way through uh, various co competitions up to, you know, qualification for the Olympics. Yeah. So the Olympic qualification process um, is over two seasons. So that would have been 2018, 2019, 2019, 2020. Um, and you get points for Olympic qualification in the European champs, a certain number of world cups and world champs. So the world champs is the biggest competition of the year and the most points are on offer. So we qualified um, after Berlin world championships in March of 2020. Um, but the situation is there's four riders who have, who are eligible for consideration to, to race at the Olympics. Because, um, you know, it's like with the Madison, it's it's like four riders have contributed points in, in competitions to, yeah. to qualify the team. So two, two people will be selected to ride and one person will be selected as a reserve. And we're not going to know what that team is selected until probably mid-May mid, mid -May at the earliest. And who are the so, three teammates with you? Uh, so my teammate Lydia Boyland, uh, Emily Kay, and Shannon McCurley. So, so Lydia, it's you know you're you're in training camp, you know, with your teammates, but you're kind of you're on the same team, but you're you're competing against each other for places as well, and the, the selection process itself is is complicated. Yeah, I mean because you know we need each other. Um, like in a Madison, it's two people competing at the same time, so you need each other to to get a result in the race, but then you also need like a larger team to, to get more results in, in more races. And, you know, so it's, it's a, it's, it's always a difficult or like, it can be a difficult dynamic in the sense that like you want, you want, you want to be the best, but you like, you also have to have your teammates with you. I mean, cycling is like a, a team sport, you know, most people, like, I don't know if most people see it that way, but they can, you know, I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, like selection is still up for grabs for the Olympics. You know, I'm, I'm happy with what, what I've done beforehand, but you know, we still have a few months to go before selection happens and potentially there'll be races. And, you know, I've just tried to, to use this year to keep working and get better. Cause in the sense I can't, I can't control what my teammates are doing for their training. You know, I can only control what I do and how, how I work and, the only thing I hope is that, you know, when selection comes that the two best riders are selected and I hope to be, I hope that I've worked hard enough and that, that I can earn that spot. Um, and then you've, you've qualified two for the Madison and one then for the Omnium. 
Yeah. Oh, can you explain what the omnium is? Because it's it's all in one day, it seems. Yeah, it's it's no, all no. in one day. And I mean, previously they would have had it all in one day. So in, in general, at a track race, it'd be two sessions. It'd be a morning and an afternoon session. And they, they used to divide two events in the morning, two events in the evening. But I think because of the time schedules uh, at like broadcasting at the Olympics, they want to have it in just one session. So it's, it's, it's brutal because now you have four short intense races within about two and a half hours. So in the Omnium, it's, it's a scratch race, uh, which is first across the line essentially wins, or if you get a lap, you're a lap up uh, a tempo race where you sprint for points every lap and the first person across the line gets a point uh, elimination race, which is last cross the line is eliminated. And then a points race where you accumulate points um, with sprints over 80 laps. Mm. So it's um, it's very intense, very quick. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, I suppose it'd be so strategic for it. Yeah, I mean, it's the way like the way track racing seems to be progressing is that people are going on bigger and bigger gears. Mm. Uh, that's why like gym is quite an important part of my training now. So people are going on bigger gears, so it's getting faster and faster. Mm. So you find in, in the scratch, in the first scratch race, it'll be, you know, it'll be very quiet. And then with four or five laps to go, it just like kicks off and everyone's going like 65 K an hour and it's just insanity. Um, so yeah. And then the races, you don't have as much recovery between races and, mm. you know, if you like, maybe you try in the scratch race to like get a lap and it doesn't work out and you've expended a lot of energy for very little gain. So and then as well in the, in the final points race, it can be quite strategic if people are close in positions, you know, they might just be watching another rider to see, to stay within that, you know, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a very intense few hours for those riders. I say, and do you have much time then to do, well, I know like, let's say before the lockdown, um, <clears throat> since, you know, would you have much time to compete in, in regular road racing? Well, I mean, it's, it would be ideal if you could do like depending on on when the track season is i mean before mm -hmm. the track season for us would have been october to end of february for the larger races but now the uci is kind of changing changing the season around and you can you know you can spend like quite a bit of the summer doing smaller track races around europe and that but you know road riding is like a road racing is like very good training as well for track racing i mean there's a lot of very good track riders who compete and do very well in 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 road races as well during the summer so but then it just depends about like you know traveling to races and that kind of thing as well or they they sometimes hold local races here which i can sometimes just jump into but yeah. my my focus last year was solely on, on going to the Olympics. So I didn't like, I wasn't really part of um, a professional team or that. And yeah, yeah. Then there's, you know, so it's not as, there wasn't as much opportunity obviously last year for racing. Yeah. But you got silver in the Irish, the Irish national championships. Well, what year was that? Uh, 2015. And then again in 2018. Yeah. It was second time the bridesmaid, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need to, I need to work on my sprinting a bit. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Spent your time in the velodrome. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's improved a bit, but it still, still needs a bit of work. It was, um, yeah, it would definitely be 
my my I'd, I'd be conceding I guess like even in, in endurance track racing you know like some riders would be seen as more endurance like yeah. focus or in sprint focus so I would definitely be the rider trying to nip off the front and, and get a lap if I can yeah yeah um so uh I was gonna ask you there like I mean you spend a lot of time in the velodrome and you know if, well the velodrome is in Britain um in in Mallorca near ye um and you know the, the velodrome in Ireland has been talked about for for a long time and you know we thought it was going to happen like how important is having a a facility like that in Ireland which with such a history of cycling in Ireland with so much success uh yeah. of Irish cyclists and with cycling so popular yeah I mean you know like a lot of the a lot of the people that compete in road racing now you know they started they started cycling on a track like sam bennett is one on the track brian mullen is like very good on the track as well and like ip events and that kind of thing you know so it's something that can like you know lead people to that level as well and like obviously having a track in ireland would let people like get trained on a track earlier i mean you develop a lot of very good skills when you ride on the track like cadence and racing close in a bunch and sprinting and everything like that. So you develop a lot of good skills that can be used in road racing and that. And I mean, for, for us like competing at this level as well, if there was a track in Dublin, we would have greater access to the sports Institute facilities, you know, the gym and physiology and those kind of like those kind of facilities. Um, so can it be, it can be a bit more difficult to get for us to get access to those. Like a lot of the times, you know, the physiologists and nutritionists and, psychologists and those kind of people come out to us here for maybe like a week block every once in a while but if we were able to train in dublin obviously it'd be you know physio these kind of facilities that we that would be that we would like to use would be able to use on a more regular basis but i and in general i think like a velodrome would be like very very popular in ireland i mean you know on a cold winter's evening when you don't feel like yeah. going out on the road bike being in a nice warm velodrome and you know you can you can go to a velodrome and like you can make it as hard as or as easy as you like you know you can just like roll around or you can do efforts or you can race or but you know it's a nice warm safe environment at mm. any time of the year to to go train well it's like um, imagine if we didn't have the the national uh rack stadium in in uh santry you know it's 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 on that equivalent when you talk about you know irish rider irish runners have got a lot of success but equally Irish cyclists. So, you know, it, it would be a facility that would be very much utilised from little kids, you know, right up to um, the the elite team's training. And, yeah. you know, not just as a training facility like that or a, a racing facility, but a way to really get the public in to see yeah. cycling and to enjoy it. And, you know, people go to the, the continent and to Britain to, to experience that intensity in the velodrome. You know, it's um, something we're missing out on with the quality of riders we have. No, ab absolutely. Like, I think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shame that it hasn't already happened, you know, and like, obviously with all the like COVID stuff going on, I mean, there is a money investment involved in it too, but, you know, I think it'd be a facility that would be massively used by the people and like something that high performance and every level, you know, could use. Because I mean, being part of the Irish team, um, but being in, having to be in Mallorca all the time, uh, you, you're kind of there's a kind of a, it's disjointed from the main um, supports, let's say, of the yeah. uh, of, of of your sport and of of that kind of support group, you know. 
Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, you know, New York is a very, very nice place to train, um, you know, but I haven't, I haven't been back to Athen Ryan over a year with everything going on. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a different culture. It's a different language. We live, live in, in Alarose, a very small town. It's very quiet. You know, it can be a, a quite monkish existence, you know, if you just mm. eat, sleep, train, repeat. I mean, it's very easy to, to live that lifestyle out here. Um, I'll kind of, you know, we're very much in the inland. I mean, it's not like we're not in a party area at all. You know, it's a very, very focused training area. And, but yeah, it is, it is like obviously an, an ideal place for training as well, but it does mean that we spend a lot of time away from home as well. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. I mean, most people, you know, go to Mallorca cycling for a week or maybe two if they're lucky, but it's a different thing when you're professional and you're, you're there full time, you know, and you, you don't, you, you can't go home, you know, that's, I say it's something hard for people to understand, you know, because you're lucky where you are, but, you know, it's yeah. it's not home. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the language is different, the culture is different, I mean, the culture, and during the summer, I mean, training here in August when it's 40 degrees, is it's pretty unpleasant, and you, the apartments are 40 degrees all the time, and you're just warm all the time, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is it is an ideal location. I think it is one of the best places in the world for cycling, really. I, I like I can understand living here, why so many people come here to cycle. You know, mm. um, the road surface is nice and there's there's mountains or hills. And, you know, it is we're very fortunate to be training here, you know, and I feel like very fortunate to have spent the last year preparing here as well. You know, it's like I know a lot of other nations have had problems getting access to to velodromes to like their their training facilities and like training on the road i mean a lot of times the british team or that they would come to like warmer climbs during the winter to to get the winter training and you know they obviously can't do that now so yeah. like i've been quite fortunate to be able to train here and, and what's the the plan from now till till the olympics i mean are you um I, I, will you be there in Mallorca full time or is there, you know, will you get, will you get back home or is it very much still up in the air? Or... I think most likely I'll, I'll be here until, until the Olympics. Um, really? It's not, I mean, it's, it's not easy or it's not pleasant, I think, to travel at the moment. You know, there's so many, <clears throat> there's so many restrictions and having to do tests and travel mm. restrictions and that. And it's just at the moment, I just find it stressful to like to travel anywhere. And if it's not necessary, it's not necessary for me to travel. So I'm, I'm most likely just going to stay here. And we potentially have competitions coming, coming up. But again, they're all up in the air about whether they're actually going to happen or not. So if there's if there's no competition, I most likely will just we'll just stay here. Yeah, I, I say your, your kind of teammates, you know, become family like you spend so much time around each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I lived the majority of my time um, in Alaro and a lot of the times with teammates and that. But in the last few months, I've, I've moved into Palma. Um, it's a little bit closer to the track and just a little bit of a, a separation as well, because it's 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 good to live, live with people you train with. But then it's also it's also nice. You just come home at the end of the day and then there's there's no more talk of cycling. You know, it's it's, it's healthy, yeah. I think, to have a have a separation between like what you do and who you are and and kind of try to separate it because i mean especially with everything that's been happening this year if if so cycling and the olympics is your sole focus and you know if that is like taken away from you and if it's 
you know, if it's all you think about or all you do, then it's, it's not healthy. You know, it's, that's not a healthy way to be, I think. So you need yeah. to have a little bit of balance, I think. So what do you do then to get that headspace or to get that distraction, you know, away from the bike, away from cycling? Yeah, I mean, I have to be like, you know, I can't be like doing anything terribly exciting, <laughs> you know, and especially like at the moment, there's, you know, everything, most everything is, is closed most of the time, but it's just nice. To, uh, I like to try to get out in the hills, just a bit of hiking if I can, or yeah. get to the beaches or just like, um, Palm is a nice city to just have a walk around or, you know, go for a coffee or that kind of thing. And just, mm. um, yeah, just to get a bit of separation from it really. Yeah. And you're using the time to learn Spanish. A little bit. Yeah, it's, it's definitely helpful to have a little bit here. It took me, I mean, I, I really didn't make that much of an effort until the lockdown. And then it was just like, well, I have like an extra 10 hours in the day. I have nothing else to do. So I might as well try to learn a little bit of Spanish. Yeah. And do, do you miss do you miss cycling back home now, out in Atenroy, in the rain and the potholes? Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice. It's not, I mean, I like training at home because, you know, I train and then I can like spend time with my family and that kind of thing, yeah. you know, like, I really, I enjoy that, you know, that part of it. And like my brother lives up in Dublin. So I've been training a little bit in Wicklow, like around mm -hmm. Wicklow and Dublin and that as well. So, you know, it's just, it's just nice to get out on the roads around, around Galway and Athenry as well. I've done a little bit around Connemara and that, and just like the quietness and the kind of like, you know, even like the, the wind and that. I mean, if you get a nice day, there's there's nowhere else nicer in the world to, to cycle than Ireland, you know? It's just yeah. it's just not as often as here. Yeah, yeah. And like there's been there's been such interest in cycling. I mean, you know, with with the lockdown kind of naturally, you know, people have taken to cycling. Um yeah. and luckily as well, there seems to be, you know, a lot of moves in the part of the the government putting putting money into greenways, you know, into different yeah. cycling infrastructure. But you know, we're we're kind of coming from from a slow start. Um, on on the kind of club level and the kind of leisure rider level. I mean, what do you think? Like, how important do you think it is that you know we're kind of encouraging cycling that from 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 all levels? Yeah, I think I think it's massive because like one of the best parts about cycling is meeting people at a cafe, maybe having a coffee beforehand, going for a bike ride and then coming back and like just chatting and having a coffee. And I always find that like when you're in a group ride with people, it's it's so easy to just have like a conversation and it mm. just flows more than if you're just even just like sat across from someone having a conversation. You know, it just for whatever reason, I think it just like cycling if you're not going too intense, it can just like calm you. And, you know, if you're working within the group, you get to talk to different people and that and like to feel part of something, you know, to feel part of a club and to feel that, you know, there's people that enjoy doing what you do as well. You know, I mean, that's what I really enjoy about being at the club. I mean, like if you speak to most people, it's, it's silly to cycle 90 kilometers. It's like, why would you do that? But I mean, you, you cycle with a club of people and that's, that's just their normal and it's, it's what they enjoy. And it's, it's nice to be around that kind of energy where people just don't think you're silly because, you know, you, you ride a bike for that, you know? Yeah. And has all this time, you know, in between lockdown and just being a, a cycling and training full time, has it has it given you space to kind of think, you know, to the future? Because you were you were um, doing your PhD, um, and then you took that opportunity when it came, you know, to go cycling, training, competing full time, which is 
you know, you, you would have regretted it if you didn't take that opportunity. So many people would give their IT to do it. Do, do Has it changed how you see, you know, life after cycling? I think, like, it's it's given me, because I've, I've spent most of my life, like, working in the university, which is one type of environment. And, like, being in this environment has taught me so much more about, like, how to work with people. It's taught me much more about myself and resilience and, you know, striving and working for your goals. You know, it's like, and it, I mean, in terms of, like, what I want to do afterwards, I'm kind of... I'm quite content to give myself just a bit of time afterwards to I'm not I'm not too keen to rush into the next thing because I think you know if you work for something and if like I hope to I hope to achieve competing at the Olympic Games and you know I find that like if you can show yourself that you can commit to something and work then you know then you feel like you feel that there's more opportunities you know and you feel you learn how to like communicate with yourself better and not to put yourself down and like how important like mental strength is and how important positive talk is and all these kind of areas. And, you know, if you believe that you can do something and work towards it, that it's, that's a massively positive thing that I've gotten from this experience. So, um, so yeah, I might, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure what I'm going to do after this, but I'm like, I'm quite content to just to give it a bit of time because mostly in my life it's always just been one thing after the other um so and I just want to give a bit of time to to see what happens and because I mean realistically I think like life choices and life decisions will be different whether whether one the Olympics happens to whether I get selected to race and then depending on how that goes so you know I just want to to see what happens and then just take it take it as it comes and would you have any advice for young women, you know, looking to, to get into cycling, get, getting into racing, you know, because um, in Ireland, cycling would be very kind of male dominated. You know, we yeah. have in, in the club and challenge and and Ron Connacht, you know, would be a lot of the races would be mostly fellas and tr- trying to encourage more uh, women to do the races. And, you know, there, that is growing and that's being encouraged. Um, would you have any advice yeah, I think the main thing is like not to be to try not to be intimidated, you know. I mean everyone trains and everyone races to get better. Like no one rocks up at a race and wins everything or you know, and it's about what do you what do you want to get from the racing? I mean, do you want to win every race or do you just want to enjoy the experience of like meeting new people that are like-minded? And I think it's just it's been what do you want to get out of that experience you know and don't be intimidated by other people that you think are are better than you because everyone started from somewhere you know I mean I was like in a in a local club and like you know had none of the gear and no idea and you know like that's that's where most people start and there's nothing wrong with starting at that level and just and there's nothing wrong with just enjoying it as well you know it doesn't have to be super competitive but if it if that's something you enjoy then like go for it and give it a hundred percent and, and just enjoy it. I think the most important thing is to enjoy it and not be intimidated and, and appreciate the opportunity to meet like-minded people and, um, and just, yeah. And just enjoy riding your bike. I think it's a great time for cycling. I mean, I think if we don't make the most of this opportunity that, you know, this terrible pandemic has, uh, has given us, you know, with people getting into exercise outdoors and cycling and walking and everything, you know, if we don't make the most of a bad situation, you know, it'd be an awful shame. Yeah, I think, and I think cycling can give you, 
it can give you so much like happiness as well. You know, I think like in the situation that everyone's in now, you know, if you're just stuck indoors and feel that you can't do anything, it's, it's not healthy. You know, I mean, I think it's so healthy to get outside to physically, you know, exert yourself a little bit um, and just, just get out of, maybe get out of your head a little bit if possible. And just, if you can meet up with other people, but just, you know, to get some fresh air, it's, it's such a healthy thing, you know, and like cycling can be, it can be competitive, but it can also just be something that you do for happiness as well, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And you, with all the time you have, when you come home, are, are you are you following the, the women's and men's professional racing, road racing, or is it like you get home because I don't even look at another bike? No, I I, I definitely I definitely enjoy. Um, sorry, one second here. Uh, no, no worries. Sorry. Um, there you go. I definitely I definitely enjoy watching like the racing as well. I mean, the Milan San Remo where they're cycling for six hours. I mean, I think that day I like got up, ate breakfast traveled to the gym, came home and like watched the result. It's like crazy that they like cycle that amount. You kind of just go on with your day and like check in on it every once in a while and see what's happening. And then, and then, yeah. And then, so I, I enjoy watching it because I mean, it's incredible what, what they do. You know, I think a lot of times when, when I say I'm a cyclist, people think that I like cycle the Tour de France and the way I try to explain it is like in terms of a runner, you know, like those those people that cycle the Tour de France and those longer distance are marathon runners versus I would consider myself like a 5,000 meter runner. So, you know, like the training that I do, my physique, like all these things would be different compared to, to what they do, you know? But I, yeah. I enjoy watching that in the cyclocross and like I always really enjoy watching track racing. I think like that's another thing that's such a shame that we don't have a track. It's It's so cool watching track racing. I mean, it's so different compared to what you see on the TV compared to like what you see live. I mean, mm. how close people get the speeds they go. It's, it's, it's so fast packed racing and you know, there's always different races, sprint races, endurance races, men's races, women's races, rather than, you know, just six hours of a road race, you know? So I think track racing would be my, my favorite event to watch really. It's a fantastic spectator sport. It was the closest yeah. I came to it was we went to do the, um, the Flanders, you know, before the actual men and women's race comes through. Yeah. Uh, so you do the, it's like a sport deep the day before. And uh, yeah. then the next day you go to one of the cobbles. We were at the Hoppenburger one of them. And there's, it's a big party, like, and they come around three or four times, both races, the men's and women's. And there's other people out there drinking beer. Weather is cold. It's kind of yeah. like Patrick's day, but there's such crack, you know? And it really yeah. brings you really close to the riders and to the action. And that's really something we're missing, you know, without a velodrome. And yeah. let's hope, you know, in a few years' time, we'll be able to go and see you, see you and, you know, the Irish teams and in velodromes and, you know, yeah. competing in velodromes. Because, I mean, I would imagine, and I, I know very little, like, about velodrome racing, that if we did have one in Ireland, we'd have, we'd have our clubs, like Challenge or Galway Bay or... Uh, yeah. any other clubs around you know yeah. competing in the velodrome too would provide just another level another yeah. avenue for a cyclist no for sure i mean even like we have like sun drive up in dublin and you know there's a lot of clubs that like that have specific track teams you know and i think it's mm. like it's so much fun really like racing in sun drive like seeing people that i haven't seen in a long time and you know seeing like and just 
I mean, on a nice day, it's really nice to, to race outside on in the track, you know, on a summer's day. It's a really pleasant experience just being outside. Is it, racing a track, track. Is it or is it like a, a tarmac jobber? Yeah, it's 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 cement. You know, it's oh. um, is it four fifty nine meters? So it's a good bit bigger than an indoor track, and there wouldn't yeah. be as much of a slope on it. But we do like there's international races held or one held every summer in in good times. You know, and riders come from all over the world to compete there. You know, um, mm. it's kind of a shame it's not like you know when when things are better that it's not promoted or like yeah. seen as much as it could be. But, um, you know, so I, I enjoy it whenever, like, possible racing in Sundrive. But, yeah, and, you know, like, clubs do travel from everywhere. So I can I can well imagine if there's an indoor track and if you know, like, you can go there and, and the racing will go ahead and, you know, like, national champs and everything will go ahead. It'd mm. be it'd be really cool for people to do. It would be class. Lydia, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah. No, it's been and fun. Thanks a million for, for sharing your experience and... We can't wait for the Olympics. It's kind of a long run up to it, but uh, it'll be worth it. Yeah, I mean, it. I think January, February here was a bit of a slog, but finally, yeah. it finally, it seems like there might be, there might be a little bit of hope, and finally, feel like I'm building up a bit more to it. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully everything goes well, and and I compete, compete there. It'd be amazing. We'll be all shouting from you, everyone from <laughs> Athenry in Ireland, and yeah. and challenge. Yeah, really no. appreciate it now you're joining us. Yeah, no, thanks very much. It's been cool. Thanks a million, Lydia. All the best. Okay, bye bye.